Zivie Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com for updates on podcast guests and lots of live events. This week's episode has been sponsored by A Thing or Two, which is a podcast hosted by Claire Mazur and Erica Cerullo, who you might know as the co-founders of the website of a kind, RIP, or the co-authors of the book Work Wife, which I've had on my podcast. They're all about discovery and enthusiasm. This podcast has been described as a unique mix of urgent discussions of non-urgent things and thoughtful discussions of important and otherwise ignored things. And uh, I'm very much on board with that take. Claire and Erica also send out a weekly companion newsletter with a diehard following. You can sign up to receive it at claireanderica.com. So thanks so much to Claire and Erica and their fantastic podcast, A Thing or Two, which you should definitely check out. I'm here today with Mark and Sienna Siegel. Mark Siegel is an author and illustrator of many award-winning books. He's the founder and creative slash editorial director of First Second Books, a Macmillan imprint that publishes graphic novels. He illustrated To Dance, written by Sienna Chershon Siegel, his wife. He illustrated Oscar and the Eight Blessings, which won the 2015 Jewish Book Award, and How to Read a Story. In 2017, he launched the Five Worlds graphic novel series, a five-volume fiction series he co-writes with his brother, Alexis Siegel. The first in the series was a New York Public Library top 10 book for kids in 2017. Originally from Ann Arbor, Michigan, Mark was raised in France. A graduate of Brown University, he currently lives in New York. Sienna Churchon Siegel is an author and former dancer from Puerto Rico who trained at the School of American Ballet and later worked in the education department at the American Ballet Theater, directing their training programs for young dancers. To Dance is her story, which won a Seibert honor and many other awards. Also a graduate of Brown University, she currently lives in New York and is married to Mark. So welcome, Mark and Sienna. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Especially on this rainy, disgusting day. It sure is. It's like London London winter here in New York today. Yeah. But even more cozy, right? Now we have like, you know, nice to be inside. Hot tea. (laughs) Hot tea. There's so much to talk about with graphic novels and both of your incredible life experiences. But let's start with To Dance, your illustrated graphic novel that you worked on together, a ballerina's graphic novel. How did you decide to collaborate on this? Why did you make it a graphic novel? What is it about? Go ahead. I'll just sit back. Well, To Dance is a memoir, and it's about a 10-year period of my life. Growing up as a young ballet lover who started taking ballet and then fell in love with ballet and wanted to just continue doing it as much as possible. And coming to New York to train at the School of American Ballet and doing that at a very interesting and unusual time in the history of ballet where George Balanchine was still alive. He was still running the company that the school is associated with, the New York City Ballet. And people were, you know, coming to New York from Soviet Union and defecting, and there was all these amazing dancers just arriving there at that particular moment in time. And I was this little girl, you know, just kind of swept up into it all and getting to dance with some of them in, in the same performances as a child. At and you, you came from Puerto Rico? Yes. And how old Puerto were you Rico. when you... I came here when I was 11 and started into seventh grade. I arrived right before seventh grade. So... Um, it was a huge change, of course, you know, coming from Puerto Rico. But I had, it's not like it was the first time I had come to New York. I had been here before for like a summer program at ABT the year before and just, you know, trips. But so it's about that and about just being a, a girl who loves ballet and my experience with that. And, and then 
Also, it goes into the fact that I did not end up becoming a professional dancer. So it was, you know, a little bit of a different story than I thought was out there at the time. And tell me a little more about your injury that that halted your career. Well, it was a torn ligament in my ankle. And it was, it wouldn't have halted my career at another time, I think. It's not the kind of thing that you can never mm-hmm. recover from and dance again from. But at the time it happened was was not a good time because it was the time when I really needed to just strengthen up so much that they could see, okay, you're going to get in the company, you're not going to get in the company, you're going to get a job, you're not going to... And so it was just a very bad time for it to happen. And it, and I, it never really strengthened up back to where it had been before. And you kept dancing instead of really I, yes, giving it a chance to Yes, I didn't take care of it at the beginning. Until uh, so it was um, really damaged. And it just, oh, no. yeah, so the, the effect of that torn ligament lasted for months and months because I waited a long time before I finally get got the cast and stopped dancing. So it was, it was really a year, it was kind of like a year-long process of realizing that it was going to have a, a really bad effect <laughs> on my dancing life. And when you, when you were growing up, you turned to all these great books about dance. And I was particularly interested and excited to see Jill Kremens's book, A Very Young Dancer, because I loved that book, that whole series of books, Very yeah. Young Everything, a Very Young Skater, a Very Young Chef or Cook or whatever. And I, my mom like saved those books. And now my daughter reads those books all the time. So then I saw in the graphic novel a picture of that book. So that was yes. fantastic. Because I, you know, you never know who else is reading what you love as a kid. I know. I absolutely loved that book. I did read all the other books, too. Mm-hmm. And I went to the School of American Ballet with a very young skater. The girl oh, who was a yeah. very young skater. She was in one of, in the school at the time. But I just would, I read it and read it and read it and would study every detail. I loved all the details and the photos and just was you know, I, I loved the fact that there was this girl who loved the same thing as I did. And, you know, we had so much in common, even though we had so little in common and, you know, me living in Puerto Rico at the time. And But I just really wanted to do what she was doing. That was so clear to me. I, I wanted to go to New York. I wanted to go to that school. And, you know, and just, you made it happen. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> it's really incredible. It was, I mean, and, the, and I mean, that's just this one moment in the book that is, you know, so, so amazing was that when I arrived at the school, my first class at the school was the level that she was in when the book was made. I wore the Savely yeah. third color and I was just like, oh, mm. this is a very young dancer. And within a couple of months of arriving, I was, I started, you know, getting to be in, in the Nutcracker and the performances that the children can be in at, at New York City Ballet, you know, rehearsals. And it was so exciting. It just, it was a dream. You should drop some names. Well, oh yeah. I mean, that, that, were in that hundreds year, of performances yeah, at Lincoln Center. Okay. Well, that <laughs> same year was the year when Baryshnikov, Mikhail Baryshnikov decided he wanted to leave American Ballet Theater work with Balanchine and come over to New York City Ballet. So he was there and and they revived Harlequinade for him to play Harlequin and I got to be in that. And so wow. I was, you know, I was backstage with, with Suzanne Farrell and Baryshnikov and, and Patricia McBride and you know, just all these amazing. amazing dancers and getting to be, you know, in the same show with them. Not at the same time, but 
You know. I still think it was such a weird. I don't know if you used to watch Sex in the City that they cast Baryshnikov. It's like yeah, yeah, much Sarah later Jessica in his career. Harry <laughs> Bradshaw's love interest. Yes, I did see a few right? of those. That's so random. He acted yeah. a lot. He, he yeah, you know, he ended up going into act uh, a kind of bit of acting, but at the time, you know, oh, he actually was acting at the time too in a few, you know, ballet movies, like White Knights or something. He did right. White Knights, yeah, and yeah. he did The Turning Point around that yeah. time. Like they were making movies about yeah. ballet at the time. You know, that's how kind of ballet was like kind of bigger part of, of, you know, mainstream culture than it is now, I think. And the people, the stars you mentioned, like Suzanne Farrell, all those people, like I still remember their names, but I could only maybe tell you one name of a dancer today. No, you know they, I mean? like, exactly. They Missy were Copeland. Showing, yeah, I know. Thanks to my daughter. Yeah. On, on PBS live all the time, mm-hmm. you know, performances of the Met, the ABT and New York City Ballet and making movies about it. And yeah, yeah. it was the place to be. Yeah. 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 So this whole period of your life, you condensed, essentially, and turned into a graphic novel. Yes. Yeah. Mark, you have this whole graphic novel background. You started for a second, which produces like a bazillion graphic novels of all different types, all different ages, with yes. all these different collaborators. And you've written and illustrated so many books yourself. You could have done anything with Sienna's story. Yeah. And you're married. So you had like an extra yeah, yeah. pressure to well, <laughs> make I mean, it, it good. Why, I, it, why in this form? You know, I, I'd been hearing, you know, what was interesting to me is, I mean, it's, it's a bit like we both had, we had these two languages, you know, Sienna had the language of ballet and I had the language of comics. And what was interesting was that, you know, she wasn't especially warm to comics to begin with. And I wasn't especially warm to ballet. So we had to kind of learn each other's language, you know, and she would, I mean, before we, before we started into the project, you know, it, it came about because I was very interested in the fact that she, she was, she would look at life as a dancer. And I feel like the, the way she would talk about a football game, she was actually talking about dance. The way, I think the way Sienna writes is a kind of dance. And that to me was very interesting. And then a graphic novel is more verbal, but it's also visual. There's a different use of time, you know, so, mm-hmm. and it's very hard. I find it very hard looking at ballet books generally, like especially picture books. They tend to be very wooden. They're drawn after photos and, and it shows. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have any of the the sense of time, the sense of movement, you know. And, and so I had to learn, you know, Sienna took me to some shows and to see some ballets, to actually, I had to learn how to read a ballet. Hmm. And she had to learn how to read a comic, you know? And so, and for her, it was more instant. I think it was like Persepolis. There was a couple of graphic novels that you read that were like your entry points, you know? And for me, it took a little while of, I think what it was, was that at first I, I would go to a ballet and I was looking for plot. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking like it's a movie or a play. And if you do that, it's horrible. You know, <laughs> mostly they're really bad plots, you know, except maybe Giselle and a couple of others. Valentine doesn't do He doesn't do a plot. Story ballets. No, no. Mostly except the Nutcracker, they're not plots. So, so it took this shift to actually get into like reading with my feeling life. And that was a big shift for me. It was it was a deep moment. It happened with Symphony and C. And it was a record it was a, a video of mm. Suzanne Farrell in Symphony and C. And it was like, I got it. I was like, oh, you know, it moved me. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, that's what gets a person hooked on this stuff. And then I could kind of enter into Sienna's language, you know, and then we brought the two together. So we were doing things. What I found was a really interesting challenge 
for myself creatively was that, you know, we had some events. We had like 10 years of Sienna's life mm -hmm. to work with. And I interviewed her. We were on long walks up in Westchester in, in the Rockefeller Farms yeah, yeah. with a little recorder, you know, and like hours and hours of, of interviewing was how we started. And she told her stories, told these moments. And, but what, when we distilled it down, like our core intention with the project was to try and capture, there was four distinct feelings. And that to me was a really interesting challenge. It's not a concept. It's not an idea. It's not like a sequence from a plot, you know, mm -hmm. or a mystery. Or something. It's like, how do you get a reader into feeling things, like four things in a deep, meaningful way, you know? And I, I feel like it's funny because, you know, we, we first, this book first published about 12 years ago uh, from Simon & Schuster. And at the time, it was right before the explosion of the graphic novel. It was just two years before it really went bananas in America specifically and turned into the fastest growing category in publishing now. But at the time, it was just ahead of that. And so we had a limited amount of pages to work with. You know, we were told like 64 is already crazy mm -hmm. for a picture book, you know, and we, were, we wanted 120 and mm -hmm. they were like, what are you thinking? And, but then, so we put it out and then I had other projects over the years and we got this chance basically to do an updated special edition, mm -hmm. which is what's coming out right now. And that's a pretty rare thing for any authors, you know, to have like 12 years later, you get to rework some of the artwork, add some of the interstitial things that we had to cut. The and text didn't change at all. The text didn't it's change. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But we, you know, so we, and we added, Sienna added a whole scrapbook of memorabilia. Which like, I love. That yeah. was like so great That was see. so fun to do. I, I just thought, you know, I, I happened to have kept scrapbooks. My mother was a big, like, don't get rid of anything. One day you're going to need some of this. Mm -hmm. she, she always thought I might write a book about the experience. And she's the one that saved everything and kept it all and said, the you know. The tickets and the yes. playbill. And I thought, wouldn't it be so fun for people reading it to see a photo a real photo of a moment that's in the book and be able to connect the two together and be like, oh, that mm. was that time. There mm -hmm. she is doing, you know, there's Sienna in Harlequinade costume. So that was really fun to put together. I mean, this is basically what, what's coming out now is the book that we really wanted to put out. Mm -hmm. in the so that's beginning. good. It only it's, took 12 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I felt like, so getting to that you know, the, the meshing of these two things, like the graphic novel allows you to play with time in a different way and to get into, you know, you can switch out of the verbal mm -hmm. into the nonverbal and they are two different kinds of literacy. And then there's like the mix of the two, you know, like, and one of my favorite moments from the story is the football scene, you know, and we, mm -hmm. we used to joke with our editor at the time, that it would be the only ballet book with a football scene. <laughs> but it's like Sienna, I mean, this is how, to me, Sienna's mind works. You know, it's like she, we're sitting there looking at the Miami Dolphins. And when you read the running captions, you know, she's talking about dance through football, you know, I think and I love that. Few people would consider this year's Miami Dolphins to be skilled in anything, <laughs> no. dance or otherwise. This was a long time ago. This, <laughs> was, um, this was, you know, what they were actually. Dan, this is like Dan Marino, right? Yeah. No, even before. The, the golden age yeah. of <laughs> Miami Dolphins. It's funny. But Mark, 
graphic novels to you. So you kind of were ahead of the eight bulbs, whole trend. When did you start your company around it? And how did you originally get interested? I know you said you've always been interested in comics, but yeah. you grew up in France part of the time. I grew you up have in this France. interesting background. Yeah. How did this all happen for you? So my dad's American, my mom's French. I grew up in France pretty much my entire childhood. And and what's interesting with comics is that they followed a very different path in specifically in France, but also in Japan. Mm-hmm. And in both places, in the 60s and 70s, they basically became part of the mainstream reading diet. So if you were a reader and you wanted to have a well-rounded knowledge, that would include some graphic novels. You know, And there were some shows, like book TV shows, that were very, very popular in France. And there'd be, you know, they'd have like some American authors, there'd be like the Norman Mailers and mm-hmm. these people, but then there'd be like regularly a cartoonist in the mix, in the literary conversation. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, I missed when I came here for college. And then, you know, the, so that wasn't really readily available. There were some indie comics publishers that were very much under the radar of big publishing in America. And then what happened was like, 2004, five, let's see, we moved to New York in 2000. 2000, yeah. So 2004 was the peak of the Japanese invasion. So the manga, yeah, at the time there was Borders books, you know, mm-hmm, and pretty much every week you would go to Borders, mm-hmm. there'd be a new bay, you know, added to just have like this flood of manga. A lot mm-hmm. of people were kind of freaking out about <laughs> it. They were like, it reads like right to left. And it's like, I can't, I don't get it. Mm-hmm. But a lot of young readers couldn't get enough of these. And what happened was two very, very good things came of that moment in American publishing. First of all, this flood was noticed by the big publishers because millions of dollars were changing hands and they were not getting a piece of that pie at all. So they were like, what do we do around 2004? Every week in Publishers Weekly, there was some new statistic of insane numbers, you know, mm-hmm. for manga specifically. The other thing manga did is that it, almost overnight in America, it flipped the readership from about 85% of comics readers, we're, st- we're talking, 85% male, like aging male readers, to within a space of a year or two, about 65% female hmm. and young. And a lot of those young readers would later become some of the star authors that I publish now. Hmm. You know, you, when you look at people like Faith Aaron Hicks or Jen Wang or Vera Brosgall, they didn't grow up reading like Wolverine. <laughs> they, were, they were reading manga. They were reading Sailor Moon. They were, you know, they, it's like different. They came a different way. So the fact of that change was huge. And then right around that time, I had just gotten into publishing and I was trying to get a break in picture books. And everything happened all at once. You know, I got my first picture book with Sea Dogs, and I did that in this comic style. And it was noticed. And it won the Texas Blue Bonnet, and so it did well. At the time, it popped. I started editing. I translated some French graphic novels that made it onto the New York Times bestseller list. And, and then I was meeting some people way above my pay grade in publishing because of that. Mm-hmm. And because at the time the manga explosion was causing these publishers to, to go, okay, what do we do? How do we do this? Do we do fake manga? Do we just repurpose manga? Do we do superheroes? Do we, you know, and they were wondering. And John Sargent, who's the head of Macmillan, I met with him with my 
this crazy vision for a literary graphic novel imprint. It would be a house that would be author-driven rather than like merch and mm -hmm. movie-driven. Mm -hmm. And it would really be about cultivating authors, you know, and, and upping the bar on the whole thing. And right at the same time, so Sargent's, you know, we had an amazing conversation and he was like, go for it. So cool. And Macmillan ba backed me, you know. Amazing. And, and then what happened was things changed. I mean, some of the stuff I thought would take us 10 years to accomplish happened in the first year. Mm. Like getting the, the literary. 2005. Right? Two, it, it was 2006 2006 was when, it, okay. when, when we, we well, were in we, stores in 2006. We okay. started, you know, we were okay. winding up for about a year. And then we hit the stores in 2006. And then that fall, Jin Yang, American-born Chinese happens. It's the first graphic novel ever nominated for a National Book Award. And then come, I think, January at ALA, it was the first comic ever to win The Prince. And that's the big teen librarian's award. It, was, it changed. I mean, that was history making for American publishing, for American comics. And his trajectory goes, you know, stellar after that. I mean, he's now writing the Chinese Superman for DC, but he, his own books, he got another National Book Award nomination and he was made the ambassador to children's literature for two years. He just finished. So, and then we had other things, you know, several other titles like this one, Summer, is the only book by the Tamaki cousins. It's the only book to ever have made the Caldecott and the Newberry list. Wow. No book is ever, and that's an interesting property of the graphic novel, is it blurs all the categories, mm -hmm. age categories, genre categories. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so First Second became that house. Like overnight, we were the darling of librarians. We still are, I think. And because we're cultivating authors, we're speaking the same language as it's a literary approach to the whole thing. Mm. And then I have my own projects, you know, and when I started for a second, I knew that it would be a terrible mistake. I would regret all my days if I put my own projects on, on hold. Mm -hmm. Typically, you know, it just goes to sleep and never wakes up. But so I negotiated that, you know, I would continue with my own projects and I would make sure and have the time to do that. And we were, I mean, it was basically well, a year before that. The same year when Jin Yang won, when American Born Chinese won the Prince, was the same year that To Dance got the Cybert. At that right, same right, ALA. right, right. So right. it came out of the same. It was all happening. Thing. And we were starting a family. It was a busy yeah. time. There was not a lot of sleep during that time. But, but it was amazing. And I think with To Dance, you know, we, it was a little bit ahead because it was like, you know, there was just this whole thing mm -hmm. taking off, but it was embraced, you know, and, and, and we still, you know, for the last 10, 12 years, we've had to turn down invitations, you know, to go all over the place because it, it's like, it. I think those feelings that we were trying to convey, you know, they're in there mm -hmm. somehow. For all its imperfections, it's like it works at some level and that's really exciting. Mm. So do you ever, I mean, for as a parent with kids who love to read graphic novels, is there any truth to when people are like, well, don't just read graphic novels, you should read books, right? No, like, no, no. You're yeah. cheating yeah, in a yeah, way. Yeah. Like it's somehow like a cop-out, you know, like yeah, a, yeah. a hack to yeah, actually yeah. sitting there with words only text. How do you feel about that? And I have feelings. Just, <laughs> let me hear. <laughs> tell, tell me your feelings. So we, I, mean, I mean, just from our own, you know, our own family, like our, our, both our kids are incredible, voracious readers of everything. Mm -hmm. They love graphic novels. How old are your kids? 14 12 and 12. And 14. Yeah. Okay. 
But so here's the thing is, you know, I've had a chance to meet now with thousands of librarians and booksellers and educators. I do that kind of around the year. The librarians, all educators, including librarians and teachers, school teachers, they are on board. The course adoptions are huge for graphic novels. They'll tell you that oftentimes the vocabulary for the same equivalent in prose, it's much more advanced in Mm. graphic novels. And that in general, you know, kids who are growing up enjoying their reading are going to be lifelong readers. And that, I mean, now we have, you know, a decade of data to show they do, they, they read everything. And what's interesting is when you talk to librarians, they will sometimes tell you, especially teen and children's librarians, they'll say, we're not the problem. The teachers are not the problem. The last holdouts are parents. Mm, interesting. And, you know, when you think about if graphic novels are getting National Book Awards and getting Prince Awards and Newbery Awards, that's not for nothing. It's an indicator, right? Now, is everything good? No. But point but, to but neither any neither are any, yeah. neither are all the prose books. I mean, right? look I at mean, novels, right? Novels mm-hmm. or movies or music yeah. is 90% crap. <laughs> I mean, generally, yeah. it's fair to say it's 90% crap. There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff. But then that 10% are like the gems that are going to stand the test of time. Now, there's a lot of that 10% in graphic novels. And there's some stuff where mm-hmm. if you have a prejudice against that form, then you may not be exposing yourself or your kids to some really remarkable new voices that are doing some work that will, I think, stand the test of time. Yeah, I, I still, I do feel that they're, they shouldn't replace reading prose and novels without pictures because I think that there's a lot, a lot of value in picturing things in your own mind and not being, you know, like having the the imaginative space while you're reading to see what you think it looks like. Mm -hmm. And also there's a kind of a stamina about just reading words with no pictures that I think is built by doing it more and more, where sometimes I feel like it would be lost. That stamina would get a bit diminished by only reading graphic novels, but of course they're never going to just read. Well, no, and they have to. Read yeah, they're school, different. They're. I mean, I think they do. They're different. They, they operate on different parts, different circuitry yeah. in our minds. Yeah, they do. So they're different reading experiences, and they're good for different things. You know, they have different strengths. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so you have. I do think that there's some books. You know, I get as an editor, I get a lot of submissions of people saying, "Oh, well, let's adapt this book from prose to graphic novel or something," and I. I I tend to resist that because mm-hmm. I feel like if it works, why mess with it, you know? And and you're going to end up with a kind of diminished echo of the original thing. You know, it's like Orson Welles used to right. say he he only wanted to adapt mediocre novels <laughs> to make great movies out of. Mm. And I think with you know when people, you know, like you're saying, you it it it's not a nothing is a substitute it's a it's a different reading experience it's a different form of literacy it really is i mean mm-hmm. there is now a visual literacy that our kids are growing up with that it's a vital medium for them just like you look at the 60s and you can't think of the 60s without pop music mm-hmm. it's like that is the vital medium of the 60s right now you look at things like podcasting, you mm-hmm. look at things like graphic novels. There's a reason why these connect mm-hmm. right now. 
They do. There's a freshness, you know. I'm interviewing tomorrow somebody who wrote an Amazon original, like an audiobook only. Yeah. And I was talking about that to some people in an older generation who were like, well, that's not reading if you listen to these books. And I was like, I mean, you're not using your eyes, but you're consuming the story. Your brain is like consuming the story. Anyway. Yeah. But it is interesting that audio it does also work through a different circuitry. You right. know? So it, it affects you in a different way. Mm-hmm. And then there's the voice and there's the acting and the, you know yeah. that now comes into it. Mm-hmm. So it's different when you're reading prose the voice is forming up in your own mind. Mm-hmm. You know, the imagery yes. is forming up in your own mind. Yeah. What's interesting with graphic novels is that it's not, it's certainly not like a lazier experience because no. it's actually a very active reading. Mm-hmm. You know, you are actually filling in a lot more than you are seeing in some ways. I mean, nobody would accuse anyone who's interested in art of being lazy, yeah. right? And it's yeah. essentially the mix of art and reading, right? Yeah. So why would it be yeah. lazy? If anything, you're doing double time. That's right. <laughs> yeah. You're working That's overtime right. on That's these right. graphic yeah, and it's novels. it's something that sometimes people have to learn to do, which is to to take the time to look at every picture. Mm-hmm. Some, I, you know, to some, read the pictures. Yeah, sometimes children will just read the text and forget that there's a picture to look mm-hmm. at and like go real fast and then miss out on all the artwork and all the pictures and so you have to you have to get into the right speed in order to yeah that's really it. yeah I feel like you were such an early adopter of this medium do you see any other like burgeoning trends coming either in the graphic novel space or just even in the literary world given that how much exposure you have to so many readers and well it's interesting yeah. yeah well mm-hmm. the the graphic novel is not, is is not has not peaked Mm-hmm. Right now, the hot category, a lot of all the houses are buying a lot of middle grade kind of contemporary or memoir, which, you know, Raina Telgemeier yes. paved the way, mm-hmm. you know, for that. And we have books like, you know, with Shannon Hale and Lewin Pham that they're great because they're, yes, they're middle grade fiction, but they're emotionally very true. Mm-hmm. And it comes through in the art and in the writing. And it's just, so there's a reason why these connect. But I think... We're on the cusp of, the, of now, because many of these readers are growing up, we're looking at teen, and we have, like, this year, three incredible teen hits. You know, one of them is Laura Dean Keeps Breaking Up With Me. <laughs> and there, I think the teen space is, that's about to explode for graphic novels. And then, you know, you can see that trend going all the way into adult in time. Adult is still, it's a hard nut to crack, but we also, we're doing well with adult nonfiction Hmm. Adult fiction is a harder one. You know, you can get like five, six starred reviews and get media attention and still the sales are nothing like middle grade, mm-hmm. but that's changing. And would you two ever work on a project together again? Like how is the collaboration as spouses and collaborators? Or are you already it's, working? We are, we, are, we, we are. actually are. Oh, amazing. There's going to be a, another take on my story called Tiny Dancer. Oh Yeah, and it's going to be, it's actually going to be focusing more on the time you asked me about, which is what it was like during and after the injury. Mm-hmm. And that whole shift in, like, perception about what I was going to do with my life and am I going to be a dancer? Am I, and that time is going to be more the focus. And it's it's in the works. It's going to... It's a little darker. It's, mm-hmm. it's older yeah, for older it's readers. And that's a, a full-blown graphic novel. Hmm. And that's in the works. I think there's not enough about what happens to athletes past their prime. Like there's not enough sort of, I mean, it's a time of real emotional, you know, darkness. I think for a lot of people who have a single-minded focus for so long and then they come off it. Yeah. 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 So that's going to be 
a, a large resource. Yeah. Well, we got, there was a, a beautiful moment. It's on Instagram. It's on your Instagram, right? There's somebody, I think somebody's mom wrote to you well, and, no, about was, To Dance. Yeah, because mm-hmm. she actually bought To Dance for her daughter, her teenage daughter, or a gift, a Christmas gift a few years ago, who was a girl who loved ballet and then had to stop ballet. She didn't say why, but something mm-hmm. it sounded like an injury physically mm-hmm. that, you know, caused her not to be able to dance anymore. And apparently the girl just needed something about to dance just to be able to go on with, you know, in herself and and read it a hundred times. Yeah. And so anyway, now she's grown up. Yeah, she's, now she's, she's like older. seven. She's I think she's a senior. So this and, happened which earlier. And, and they posted this photo yeah. of her with the book, with the new edition, and she's in tears looking at it. It's a beautiful photo on Instagram. But what the reason I brought it up is the what you wrote. You, we sent her a copy of the new edition, and you wrote, what did you write in the inscription to her? I wrote that there's plenty of time in a life for more than one dream. And even if she feels like, you know, that was her dream and that's not going to happen, it will affect other dreams and cause other dreams to be able to happen. I mean, I feel like that's, that's such a that's such a good vitamin mm-hmm. for so many people. You know, yeah. I feel, and that was, I think, part of Sienna's own journey was being so zeroing in on the one pursuit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and, and then, then having to landing find up at like, seventeen, like, oh, what am I going to do now? And you know, it was it was really really hard. So the next book is gonna is going to. Focus on that. Oh, I can't wait for that. Yeah, yeah and it does different things, and like yeah. in a, you know, in New York has more of a presence, mm-hmm. and it's just like a it's a it's a different creature, mm-hmm. but it's it's very exciting to see that take shape. So yeah, so we're working. Yeah, it's great working yeah. together. I, yeah. I I love it. It's difficult because we have to, you know, carve out that time and space to do that together, which is different from all other aspects of life and our family life and everything else going on. But I, I, it's one of the joys of my life is just being able to do this. Together. And we, and I feel like we generate, you know, we generate together. Like it's like we, you know, we'll sit down for a session and almost invariably, you know, walk away with more than was there. You That's know, great. so it's kind of, I think it carries us to some degree, which is pretty special. Oh. Yeah. Do you have any parting advice to aspiring authors out there? Maybe even aspiring collaborators or aspiring graphic novelists? Uh-huh. Take your pick. I mean, I, I do, like I get asked that, you know, I meet a lot of young and aspiring authors. Sometimes I'm tempted to say like, don't overload on advice. You know, you get a lot of, you get a lot of it. And mm-hmm. it's, and you know, when someone comes to you asking for advice, it it does a little, it tickles up your ego. It feels nice, you know, to be like in that, in that seat. But then, you know, ultimately you get some people who are spending like thousands of dollars on seminars and they're reading books and methods. And yes, there is a craft which you do need to learn whatever, you know, kind of storytelling you're doing. Mm -hmm. So there, there's a need to actually train and kind of get some skill. But the biggest thing is doing it, you know, mm-hmm. and sometimes all that noise can take you away yeah. from actually doing it, you know, and I think it's the same for everything. Like if you do a podcast, I mean, how much can you learn before you just get on that mic and do it, you know, <laughs> like that's where you're really going to learn, you know, and then mm-hmm. if you need to find like, oh, how does someone handle an interview that really goes south or something, then you go searching mm-hmm. for the, you know, the, that 
skill set, yeah. you know? But or maybe I should have, but I haven't. <laughs> oh, maybe, no, 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 no. You just put people just at ease and you're like, no, no, no. All the time, no. I wing it every day. No, no, <laughs> it's great, it's great. Um, you definitely have a, an art of putting people at ease. Oh, you, do. Well, you really do. Thanks. <laughs> I don't actually feel like I have any advice. Oh, that's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. You must. What about advice for getting, oh, like, switching gears? I loved your dream advice. That, I mean, mm, I know, that, I love Let's that. Let's keep that as yours. That okay. was so special and, like, really inspiring, too, okay, because so life is long. I mean, is. I mean, not good, but, you know, life takes people in so many different directions, and I think it's so unique to have a dream so early. Exactly. That it's over by the time most people even have their first dream. Right. Yeah. Like people are like, what should I study in college? And you're yes. like, I've had a career already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 And I feel like you're putting that, you know, you're putting your... It's like you're 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 doing your dance. You know, this is like your dance. Your dance is happening in in your in teaching and in, in writing. You know, and when you meet with these, like we had one time, we were in the projects in DC with this marvelous foundation called Open Book Foundation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they're awesome, mm-hmm. and they they gave ninety copies of the book to these. I think they were like ten to thirteen yeah, year they old were, girls. Mm-hmm. They were. And it was in the projects. I mean, we arrived, we were like, I don't see a school here. And Mm -hmm. it was in the basement. Oh, my gosh. But these kids, Sienna had them dancing. And it was just the most transporting couple of hours. And then they all got a signed copy. They were all reading. It was actually, for most of them, the first book they'd ever owned. Yeah. And it was like, that's your dance also. You know, that is like. You guys should do like a little video for your website or YouTube or something of the two of you dancing together. (laughs) Oh, we have tried to dance together. (laughs) We've tried to dance. We've tried. (laughs) Even that would be funny. How did two people. Funny is right, yes. I mean, you never know what you I'll handle the funny. (laughs) 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 Well, thank you so much for coming on Mom's Time Tree Books and sharing your your wonderful stories. Pleasure. You've been listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books with Zibby Owens. Please make sure to sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com to get more updates about episodes like these and also lots of live events. Thanks so much to Claire Mazur and Eric Cerullo and their amazing podcast, A Thing or Two, which you should definitely check out. You can follow me on Instagram at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. 